Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. We're feeling 2003 draft today. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Dwayne Wade to my LeBron James. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well, because I can carry a team to a championship or be an accessory piece. Yeah, with or without me. And then for, for our, for our uh, third man in the booth, we've got our very own Darko Milicek. That's right. It's Eric Ronwick. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great. Just to be clear, people, uh, don't be confused. We're not doing Miami Heat. We're doing the 2003 NBA draft. Oh, yeah. That so uh you know Eric's, a lot of Eric's, people are like, who the hell is Darko Milicic? Also, uh, Eric, your career was ruined by an angry coach. Is that realistic? I don't know, man. I mean, was Darko that good, or was he just the big white guy in Europe? I don't know. The, the big white guy in Europe this year seems pretty good. Uh, Luka Doncic. Yeah, he's getting uh, talked up by the other European players. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, Seriously, the European players in the NBA are like, uh, do not sleep on this guy. Oh, on the, uh, what he's doing... I thought you meant the other European players in Europe, because that's no. exactly what they say every year. Well, yes, no. he's uh, very good. No, like the guys who he are currently... Like, um, Christoph Porginges like, played against him in the Eurobasket competition, and then he went ahead and like did like a, hey, you know what? This guy's really good. He's, he dropped like 37 on my team, so uh, he's actually good. Well, if there's one thing I care about, it's the opinion of Kripsap Bazingas. Uh, okay. uh, you can tell Eric does not care about the NBA. The other thing is that in the same interview, he said uh, no current college basketball player could have done that. Yeah. So he, there, he has at least one fan in the NBA, which is one more than Darko had. All right, let's go to let's go right ahead to our uh, our Seahawks news of the week. We've got t- uh, two stories that I wanted to talk about. Uh, first off, Eric. It, I heard word on the street. Rashad Penny very comfortable in pass coverage. Does that give you the faith that you need? I tell you what. Not only is Rashad Penny looking very comfortable in pass coverage, which is another way of saying, "Hey, don't worry, we're gonna block perfectly this year." But I heard that Brandon Marshall is looking to get in midseason form by the middle of training camp. You guys hear that? Woo! That's that's terrible news because then he'll be in late season form by like October. <laughs> I'm not, that's not good. We need Kevin Prescott. He's going to be in he'll, he's going to be in at home on the couch eating nachos form in like December. This is horrible news. This is what I'm expecting anyway. All right, and then the other uh Seahawks news story I thought was interesting this week was that um the Seahawks have embraced the underdog role. They nobody believes in the Seahawks. I mean, I've actually thought most most news outlets have us behind the 49ers. Now, I understand us being behind the Rams. The Rams pushed all their chips in the middle. They were the champ division champs last year. Their roster seems to have gotten better. I get it. But the 49ers, come on. This is this is the Garoppolo hype. I was on the hype train, and I'm going to tell you, this is too far for me. This is a bridge I'm not willing to to cross. You mean with Hall of Fame quarterback <sighs> Jimmy Garoppolo, who's won literally countless Super Bowl titles as a starting quarterback? True, seven, you could not count the numbers. Seven touchdowns, five interceptions. Yep, more touchdowns, interceptions. Right, right, Kevin. That's that's impressive. Yeah. All right. Literally, no one else on the 49ers put up those stats last it's year. It's honestly, it's because the he invigorated the Niners. They looked very better. They mopped, they mopped <laughs> With up the him tail in. end of their schedule pretty well. They did. Shanahan was able to run his actual offense, which is a good sign. I mean, they're, they're a team trending up, but yeah, that hype train is out of control. All right, Eric, I have a question for you. This is an Eric question. I made up an Eric question before we started. You ready? I'm ready. Thank Ooh, you. What uniform do you, question is do this? You th- yeah, no. <laughs> no. Do, you, do you think that this year, because uh, of how down people are in the Seahawks, is following this question, do you think it'll be easier for the, like the real fans to get back in the game? Have you? Do you feel like our home field advantage has leaked a little bit 
in the past couple years because Man. of the absence of the the true twelves. You know, it's, they got priced out. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I uh, I see this point. I really hate the the term hot take because it's so overused, especially in this room. We just we just do it because it's fun. But I think that's a bit of a hot take. I'll say this: as soon as the Seahawks went to their first Super Bowl against the uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we should have won that Super Bowl. Then came the super fans. So I had season tickets before that, and there weren't, there wasn't this guy in a white, uh, in a white Seahawks suit with you know neon green popping, trying to get through the cameras. There all these, like growing up, you had Mama Blue and you had Mr. and Mrs. Seahawks, and you had Kilt Boy. Yes, yep. that was it. You had three. You had Kilt Boy, you had Mama Blue, and you had like the Mr. and Mrs. Seahawks. That but now there's it. the guy who dresses like Sea Hulk. And it's just trying to get there, and yeah, they're, you know, they're cheering loud. But I don't, I don't care about the super fan. It's like, uh, hey guys, who's your favorite fan on the New York Jets? Uh, the drunk guy from New York. No. <laughs> it's the guy who stuck with the Jets. <laughs> I'm so proud of him. It's like this fire. It's a fire chief, and he wears a fire helmet, and it's and the oh, cameras yes. are always on he's him. It's so annoying. The, he starts the Jets chant. Thank yeah. you. I know. Yeah. That's, so that was my answer. I said that already. Yeah. <laughs> it's the drunk guy from New York. But I guess super fans take away from uh, what the real team is doing. That's just my opinion. And if anything, I think it will be easier to find tickets for a Seahawks game this year. So, yeah, maybe, Nathan. I mean, the diehards coming back, that would be great. I would love to see the blue-collar 50-year-old man right. at the game more. Kevin, before we go to – I know Kevin has, like, a long-form topic. Uh, I just wanted to cover, like, really quickly the just the dumb NFL stories that Dude, came out Doug. this week. So here we go. Um, Gene Serator retired, and when he did it, he turned his retirement on a note card. That was just a joke. I just wanted to get that in there. Um, really? Because I heard that he flipped a coin to see if he was going to retire. It came up heads, and he called tails and retired. Nice. And it was too late for him to fix it. Why did yeah. he retire? He's still a youngish man. Okay. He definitely hasn't gotten worse in his profession. All right. You, got, you guys ready for my least favorite story of the week? Lamar Jackson revealed that a Charger scout asked him to work out as a receiver. That scout should be fired. And also, the Chargers should fold their team. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's I'm not quick to say this, but that's really racist. Yeah. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I know you've only played quarterback, but you're black and athletic. Can, can you please can try you play, playing? Can you play receiver? How brave of this you was are, Nathan you, to you talk about the, this? You won the Heisman Trophy two years ago, and uh, could you try uh, maybe playing a position that you've never played before? I know that you are one of the best quarterbacks in college football coming into this draft. We really like to see you catch a ball. We would really like ball. to see you play a different position. All right, so that that was a that was maybe that's that guy's shtick. Maybe Nathan, ask like, maybe ask Joey Bosa if he played fullback coming out. <laughs> Nathan loves the Chargers, so that was really brave of you, man. Yeah, I I love the Chargers, and I really am embarrassed for that scout. They Some need to find him. They need to find him. And his, and they need to make sure that all his family's businesses shut down. That <laughs> they don't don't just fire him. Come a very for the particular come, set of skills. Come for everyone. Uh, okay, Kevin, you had a really cool uh, thing thing that you did a deep dive on though this week. What did you what you got for us? So I want to give some props to Football Outsiders. Football Outsiders puts out a lot of really good content, and Brian Knowles uh, put out the version this year. They always do an analysis of offensive personnel sets. Um, for those of you who don't like deep diving into the weeds, you can just fast forward. Uh, like, no. probably about five minutes. This will be a learning experience. This is going to be excellent content that you apparently just don't want. No, you need you need to learn. Now so, is the time. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at personnel. So personnel, there's depending on whose school you're from, you refer to it one of two different ways. So when you line up an offense, you talk about the number of running backs and tight ends you have. 
because that will dictate the number of receivers that are out there. So in 11 formation or 1-1 formation, that's going to be one running back and one tight end, which means you'd have three wide receivers. That's become kind of the standard. So over the last six years, um, that 11 formation went from a little less than 40% of snaps in the NFL in 2010 were in 11 formation. In 2017, a little over 60% were. Okay, Kevin, the Seahawks in particular, did they line up in this formation more? Because it seems like uh, we didn't use a fullback very much, and we had Jimmy Graham on the field all the time. Yeah, last year was a really good example. So the Seahawks were eighth in the NFL with 66%. Actually, the Rams were number one by a long shot. They lined up in 11 personnel 81% of the time. So what's the next most popular formation after, so, after 11? So uh, after 11 formation, the two that are really common are either 21 or 12. So that would be two back. 21 is two tight ends and one back, and 12 is one tight end and two backs. Uh, yes. And then which one of those two? two or, is sorry, th- opposite. So it's two tight ends, one running back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. So then, and the other one is 10 formation, which is one running back, um, four wide wide receiver. And so that's kind of become the four big formation sets. That's what almost everyone lines up in, which is another shift. Because a few years ago, 22 formation was pretty common, two tight ends, two running backs. That's a horrible formation. And that's gone away. Unless you have like two athletic tight ends that you can really like use, or a guy out of the backfield, two guys out of the backfield that can catch, you're basically just coming out on the field and saying you're going to run. You don't want to telegraph anything in, t- in the modern NFL. Right. Now, the other thing that's really interesting about this, so last season was the first season since 2010 there was a drop. So in 2017, it was 60.4% of all snaps in the NFL were out of 11. It dropped to 59.3, which is a small drop, but it's also the first time the trend is reversed in the last seven seasons. The other thing is uh, it went from 7.5 DVOA, which was the best DVOA for any set, to 7%. So it, the DVOA out of 11 formation dropped. So there Teams was are figuring less, it out. Yeah, so there was less 11 formation, and it was also slightly less effective. It also was only the second most effective set. I have a follow-up question about this, Kevin. Do you think that the this has caused the rise of guys like Harold Landry, uh, who, um, not Harold Landry, sorry, the um, like Edmonds and uh, the the coverage linebacker, middle linebacker. Yeah, like the Deion think, Jones. Do you think that's a direct answer to like, hey, there's going to be a wide receiver in the slot every play, or there's going to be a tight end that we're going to need a linebacker to cover? Like, we need linebackers that can cover guys. Yeah, I think Deion, uh, Deion Buchanan is another good example of the type of player who's thriving this set where your pass coverage skills are just directly more important. And to piggyback on what you're saying, so – um, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 21 personnel, and 10 personnel, which are all two, three, and four wide receiver sets, are by far the best DVOA. Those all have positive DVOA. Whereas 13, which is a three tight end set, six or more offensive linemen, uh, 22, those all have negative DVOA. You- so <coughs> these sets where you have more wide receivers on the field are being shown out to have a more effectiveness on offense in general. Do you, was, believe, do you believe there's a tipping point where, like, um, as soon as d- defenses will catch up and it will be to a point where there's so many smaller guys on the field that you can get away with putting a bunch of big dudes on the field and just trying to run teams over? Like, is, is there an eventual tipping point? Or are the small guys so athletic 
that it doesn't really matter. Um, that's that's kind of what I'm what what a question that came to my mind with it. And I think what we're going to see is probably in the next two years we'll find out where that tipping point is. I think right now what we've done is we've seen the plateau. So we've seen the most you would probably want to run uh, this eleven form this eleven formation, but what we haven't seen yet is when that gets countered like Tennessee's offense was not that efficient. They were the best out of bigger sets out of any team, but they still weren't like the Rams out of 11 formation. Good. Eric, what were you thinking? I was going to ask you, is there a formation you can see that's on the rise? So you mentioned that the one, one is there was a slight drop. Is there one that went that, that got up higher than before that maybe you see that's coming on the rise? Because this kind of like the one one grew out of the fact that the the fullback was kind of a role that's disappeared. Yeah, no, nobody yeah. used a fullback anymore. I mean, well, I the last one of the last fullbacks I can remember is the Seahawks, Max Strong. Like we haven't had a, a decent fullback since Max Strong. We've been tr- like we try fullbacks, but they never really take off, right? Yeah, it I think of that guy we we lost to the Cleveland Browns practice squad and was never heard from again. Yep. Who am I thinking? Uh, He's like a bowling ball. I just remember. I got you on this one. It was like three years ago. It doesn't matter, I guess. Uh, The guy at USC. I know you're talking about. But so four wide receiver sets dropped. Uh, 11 formation dropped a little bit. And six offensive line dropped a little bit, which you know the Seahawks ran a little last year, too. Not a lot of success. Because we had to. So uh, 12 personnel, uh, 21 personnel, which is two running backs, is on the rise slightly. Uh, 13 is that due so to three cat- tight end is up. Real quick, is that due to pass catching running backs? So that's the interesting thing about this. So when you talk about personnel formation, um, like uh, Tariq Cohen, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, they count as running backs even when they split out wide. Duke yeah, Johnson. It doesn't okay. matter. It doesn't matter what you. This is one thing I think is interesting about this. It doesn't matter what you break with or what we end up hiking the ball, what it, the formation looks like. It's what we get in the huddle with. It's the personnel, yeah. So, so like, a lot of times, like, I, I watched, like, the some I, when I you sent me the article and I looked at the part where it was, like, someone on Twitter was, like, these are the successful plays that were ran with three tight ends and two backs. And, like, the one of them was, like, everyone split out wide and ended up with an empty backfield yeah and i was like oh so that it was kind of like a trick like they were like oh we're gonna run and we only want to get one yard oh everyone's spread out wide and they scored a touchdown on the yeah, play. the vikings got really clever with that which i think is the play that you're referring to yeah uh this is something the saints will do the saints you saw some really interesting things with them out of 21 personnel you could see us do this this year if penny or um the guy from Notre Dame that I always just heard. CJ Procise. CJ Procise end up being healthy. Like those are two guys that could definitely have the pass catching chops to maybe go out wide sometimes. And or do McKissick. Stuff. Yeah, I just don't have any faith he's gonna make the roster. And, uh, it's unless, a really hard thing unless someone gets hurt. I agree. Uh, Procise. If Procise, so when Procise gets hurt, if Procise is was, healthy, he's out. But I'm not. I'm not looking at Procise as a guaranteed option because of his history. That's fair. So this is just a really interesting thing to keep in your mind because we're having a lot of conversations about how Schottenheimer uses the tight end a lot more. But even though Schottenheimer is more prone to using the tight end, what we're still seeing is we have a lot of those three wide receiver sets anyway. So a team that utilizes the tight end a lot, so two tight end formations, you still are probably only seeing 12 personnel or 22 personnel, a total of maybe... 20 to 25% of snaps. You're still going to see three wide receivers on the field for the dominant percentage of all snaps. Now, the other thing I think is really interesting to address both of your questions. I think that what you're going to see a lot more of is, you know, Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, um, 
Trey Burton was used this way, and also these pass-catching running backs. What you're seeing is, I think, teams are viewing pass-catchers as a much more nebulous position. So they might come out with two tight ends or two running backs, but what really is the conversation that we just had. What they look like when you snap the ball is going to end up with a lot of variety. So I think more and more, these formation numbers are almost going to start meaning less because, you know, what is the big difference between a fullback and a tight end? Or between, you know, Duke Johnson and a slot receiver? You know, uh, is what Tyler Lockett does on the field all that much different than what Christian McCaffrey is trying to do on the field. Does this add value to someone like Deion Lewis, who has the ability to be on so many different spots on the field, compared to, you know, a a traditional running back like DeMarco Murray, who can only be in the backfield? Right. And the other thing that's really fun is, this goes to your question about, like, the uh, coverage linebackers. It seems like what teams are trying to do, instead of bulking up and trying to run them over... Because, again, you're not seeing super high-efficiency offenses do this. What it seems like they're trying to do instead is they're trying to put too many effective spots that a pass rusher could come from to where they're almost forcing defenses to go further into the pass game. So you're seeing more nickel. You're seeing more players that would traditionally be six foot one, 210-pound safeties being brought down in as weak-side linebackers. And so I think that that still hasn't quite plateaued. So the defense is still playing catch-up and probably will be for a couple more years. But this could be an interesting stat to track over the next two or three years to see really where that goes and where offensive philosophy is evolving to. I think it's interesting with the more athletic linebackers, you're getting these giants that can you know strafe left to right very yeah. quickly, can still hit hard, can do some, some coverage, not as well as the safeties. But if you look at the safeties these days, they're getting smaller. The free safeties are getting a little smaller, more athletic. Um, they can still hit hard. They're still durable. It's just an interesting little twist to how the the uh, secondary looks on the defense. Yeah, coverage in general is just getting more valuable. All right. Uh, any Anything else that we have this week, or are we ready to go to our AFC South pre- AFC South? We've got some defense-led teams that we're going to be talking about, so All we right. can go ahead and take a look at that. Let's do it. AFC South time. We have four teams in the AFC South. Jacksonville Jaguars, Tennessee Titans, Indianapolis Colts, and Houston Texans. Let's start off with the team that got first in this division last year. That would be your Jacksonville Jaguars. They went 10-6 and six last year. They added Andrew Norwell, DJ Hayden, Dante Moncrief, Austin Safarian Jenkins, and Niles Paul. Obviously trying to get in some of those two tight end sets, Kevin. Uh, they dropped Paul Puzlesny, Alan Hearns, Aaron Colvin, Alan Robinson, Mercedes. Their spiritual leader, the last like OG, Vic- or OG Jaguar, Mercedes Lewis, um, they drafted Taven Bryan, DJ Chark, and Will Richardson. Eric, how do you feel about this year's version of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Very Bortles. I feel very Bortles. Listen, I think that this team is going to still be good. I think that the shine on this team is worn off. I believe that now that they were the best defense in the NFL last year, given what was it, the Vikings maybe, by a hair, this team has now got a target. With a target comes... Uh, great power, great responsibility, if you will, Nathan. Bortles is now going to be circled as a guy who isn't going to be able to get away with as much. Let's face it, they didn't use him as their number one option. And I think because of this, I think the Jaguars will have a, Jaguars will have a tougher time, yet they'll still be a very good team. I mean, this defense did not really lose any pieces that I'm worried about. The offense, though, I mean, you've gone over this in the offseason. Of the, the receivers they've lost, uh, the receiver they gained... 
I don't know. I think that the Jaguars will be trending down. Yeah, getting getting Moncrief for Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns doesn't seem very good. It seems like that's a straight downgrade. Kevin, how do you feel about the Jags? You know, the thing I have to say is with the wide receiver core, they were without Robinson basically all year. They were without Hearns for a big chunk of last year. I think D.D. Westbrook took a step. I think he'll take another step this year. He's a really interesting deep threat type receiver. I think they have a interesting enough receiver core for a team that shouldn't be passing that much. The thing I think is going to be really interesting is how much they miss Chris Ivory. Uh, Fournette went out with an injury, and Ivory was just as efficient of a runner. So the question is, can Yeldon really do that as well? And I don't have quite as much faith in Yeldon. Their offensive line got better with Andrew Norwell, but the fact of the matter is this is a team that's going to be carried by their defense, and their defense is good enough to give them a really high floor. So if they're smart, it's going to be a lot of play action, a lot of running Bortles, and a lot of trying to figure out what they have in those running backs to be able to have a regular offense. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what this team manages. They, But it's one of those things, every time I look at this team and I want to start shaving wins, the fact of the matter is that that defense just gives them, a, there's a floor on how bad they can be. That defense is so good. And They're, I don't really look, feel like their schedule got, you know, world yeah exactly they got to play they get to play the afc east which is a division that we um have kind of bagged on a little in the past but i like the afc east more than you guys i think the dolphins are actually pretty decent um they have to play the steelers this year instead of the browns that's a big that's a big difference they matched up well they had some last year play the chiefs instead of whoever got last in the afc west but the chiefs are bad um I don't think going to Arrowhead is easy for a team that's led by Blake Bortles. Okay, um, it, do- it doesn't matter if the Chiefs are bad; they're going to be decent at home. They always are. That's true. Uh, so, so I I don't really love the the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. Um, the the draft picks are good. They drafted well. They still have a pretty strong defense. Um, it's it's not a bad team by any stretch, but they're capped by the ability of their quarterback. The fact that they have no premier wide receivers. The fact that it's just going to be hard for this team to move the ball on offense. I have them at eight and eight. Um, they're in every game. They're they're going to be good. They there's a big range on it. I could see them going anywhere from six and ten to twelve and four. Like I would believe all of those things because they're going to be in every game. But I settled in the middle somewhere, eight and eight. Eric, what do you got them? Where you got them? I said they're trending down, and I mean after this year when they have to start paying their defense and they still don't have receivers, and Blake Bortles is still probably their quarterback. That's when you'll see the eight and eight and the six and ten. As of right now, I have them second in the division at eleven and five. Woo. Okay, Kevin, did you settle somewhere in between, or are you higher or lower? Uh, I end up somewhere in between. Um, I have three teams that I think will finish with some combination of these three records, and this is the one I picked to have the highest of them. So I have them winning the division at 10-6. and six. I don't think their offense is good enough to take them anywhere higher than that, but like you guys, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they managed to game plan something that's a little more functional just Bortles hucks it up there and you know Chark and Westbrook they run in a straight line really fast yep I mean it could work I like I said I would believe a wide range of results for the Jaguars I think this is the most volatile team on the whole thing because they'll go as far as Bortles can possibly take them right in my opinion that's not very far I don't like Blake Bortles but you know maybe maybe he'll be good all right the Titans last year made the playoffs at nine and seven they added Deion Lewis, Malcolm Butler, Nick Williams, Benny Logan, and the immortal Blaine Gabbert. They lost Avery, Will- Avery Williams and Sylvester Williams, Eric Decker, Denoris Searcy, and DeMarco Murray still looking for work. Uh, they drafted Rashawn Evans, Harold Landry, and Luke Falk to back him up at quarterback. 
Kevin, start us off. What are your feelings about the newly helmed Mike Vrabel Titans? Uh, I don't really know what to feel about Vrabel, but I didn't like their previous coaching staff. They ran an exotic Smash Mouth it was, offense that was yeah. neither exotic nor Smash Mouth. It was a bunch of malarkey, what they were doing before. Uh, that's a fact. Dude. <laughs> you know, somebody once told me that uh, exotic Smash Mouth doesn't work. Yeah. So... I like that Derrick Henry is going to be the feature back. I think Deion Lewis is an excellent signing. And I think Akram Wadley is a really interesting backup to Deion Lewis because Deion Lewis has a tendency to, you know, break down a little bit. So I like that they did that. I don't think their receiving core can play worse than they did last season. I think Corey Davis is a really good receiver, but uh, rookie wide receivers historically have a little bit of trouble adjusting. Offensive line is still good. Blaine Gabbert provides a better floor at backup quarterback, so they don't have to worry about the Matt Castle experience. And their defense, in my opinion, got better. Oh, a lot better. I think I Evans agree. is a very good tackler. I think Benny Logan was a nice pickup. Landry's going to provide some good pass rushing depth, too. Yep, and Malcolm Butler was uh, a really good pickup to go alongside Odori Jackson, who's only going to improve. Right, so then Butler, Ryan, and Jackson, like if you're going to put three cornerbacks on the field most of the time, which modern NFL teams have to do, that's a nice set of three right there. Yep, and then you have Harold Landry can come in, so maybe you have Arakpo playing defensive end and Harold Landry rushing from the other side at linebacker on third down, and then they have to throw into a Dory Jackson who's a playmaker. That could be a really interesting defense. I think that their defensive depth got much better over the offseason. I really wish they would have added a wide receiver. Like, I just feel like this team is a wide receiver short. They're expecting Taewon Taylor and Corey Davis to really make the jump. And I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying they won't. But that it just feels like that's the hole in this team. You know, it's like... Or Tajay Sharp. Sure. Or Rashard Matthews. Like, they have all these guys that could make the jump, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like well, the wide... receiver Matthews played well last season. The wide receivers for the Titans are... That's like the position they rest on their laurels. So they have Marcus Mariota... And he can run they have like side to side. Else. He can he can dump that ball anywhere, and he, they're not expecting a guy to to lead that receiving core for better or for worse. And I think that that hurts them when Mariota goes down, which will happen again. My my two top teams in this division, it, it could go any of three teams because of the quarterback play, yeah. right? And I mean, let's be honest, their best wide receiver is Delaney Walker. Like that guy is a machine. He's he's so he's good. Mr. Reliable. Yeah, he he hasn't missed a game in so long. Like, uh, the most I, underrated I have tight an end. Argument though. What their best wide receiver might be Deion Lewis. That's true too. They're going to use him at wide receiver a lot this they year. They should I bet. pass to both of those players often. This is a team you will see running running that one tight end to running back formation because you can do whatever you want with Deion Lewis on a football field. Well, right. it's not it's not anything new, but what the Panthers did with Christian McCaffrey last year, it's it yeah. it brought out that running back that can do so much, and you're seeing a lot of teams copying that this season. And Jonu Smith is a receiving first tight end. All right, Kevin, start us off. How do you feel about the Titans? Um, Titans are in that cluster. Again, I said I had three teams that could all finish with one of three records. I've picked the Titans with a probable quarterback injury, and I think their defense might be one season away from really coming together. I have them at 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't think they're a worse team than they are last were last year. I think, if anything, they're a little better. But, but the record might not show it. Record might not show it this I year. I think they're going to improve by one win. Get to ten and six and win this division that I feel like is aggressively mediocre. That is very um, fair. So, <laughs> I think that they all these teams could be really good too if everyone stays healthy. Like they're te- like obviously the Texans have huge health problems. The Jaguars have a huge Bortles, and the Titans <laughs> and the Titans have a quarterback that has been injured in the past, and they. We don't really know what they're going to be like because their old coaching staff sucks so bad. They could improve a lot just on the basis of, like, maybe Vrabel has built a really great staff here. Yeah, if they got 11 wins, I would not be shocked at all. Yeah. 
Eric? Uh, I have them also at 10 and 6. I have them getting the sixth seed in the playoffs. All right. And then finally, let's go over and head over to Indianapolis where the Colts. The Colts have added Danico Autry, Eric Ebron, Ryan Grant, Austin Howard, and Najee Good. They've dropped Rashawn Melvin, Jonathan Hankey, Frank Gore, John Bostic, and Barkevius Mingo. If you didn't care about any of that, neither did any Colts fans. Uh, they draft, But this is the big one. They drafted Quentin Nelson. They also got Kamoko Ture and Braden Smith. All right, I'll start us off. It's my turn. Let's talk about the Colts. This is the most aggressively not exciting roster in the entire NFL. I don't really understand how any if i was a fan of this team i would be so disappointed by this roster that they're really expecting andrew luck to just will this team to to free wins or something because this roster is not good quentin nelson's the right pick they needed to solidify their offensive line and like just make it coherent so i could totally see that coming together and their offensive line being a lot better but i get so tired of hearing these stories where it's like andrew luck's throwing a nerf football andrew luck's throwing a real football <laughs> 10 yards and it's like Dude, Andrew Luck is, th- Luck is throwing one of those squishy footballs that has the whistling thing in it. To be honest, like their quarterback, as far as I'm concerned right now, is Jacoby Brissett. And I don't hate Jacoby Brissett. I think he's decent. Um, he has development to do. He's Jacoby not, Brissett just got sacked while you made that comment. He's not finished product. And last year, he was exactly he was suffering behind a to- terrible offensive line. I'm curious to see what this team can do. Um, I don't think they're very good, though. Uh, their defense is just not. I don't understand how they expect this defense to stop anyone is a big problem as well. Uh, Eric, what do you think? Uh, You said it really well, Nathan, when you said, if I was a Colts fan, I would be so disappointed in this roster. Let me take you three sports over to the NHL, and we'll go to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. They were an expansion team this year, and they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Okay, That's the Super Bowl of hockey. If you look at the Colts, and you look at all the free agents out there, you could make a damn good expansion team with all their free agents that are out there or that were out there at the beginning free agency. And the Colts have Andrew Luck making $200 million a year. I don't, and that's a slight exaggeration, but hear me out. I don't like the way this team is constructed. I don't think there's a vision past we have Andrew Luck. And I don't know if Andrew Luck has done enough. Let me rephrase that. I know outside of some really great promise, Andrew Luck has done nothing. He's done a little more than Robert Griffin III has done in the NFL. And we all know in this room how we feel about that quarterback class and how Russell Wilson is the cream of the crop. But <laughs> that picture of Jim Moore you have in the background is screwing me up. But the uh, the Colts, man, I have I have doldrums and gravestones for this team. They need 28-year-old Andrew Luck, who has not played since 2016, to be not just good, but better than he's ever been. 28. If you haven't played in a long time, that's old. Here's the thing. Let's take a look at what this team's done, because this team was, two seasons ago, this team was in roster hell. They fired, was it, it's Grigson was their old GM, right? Yep. And their new one's Ballard, I believe yes, is his name. Correct. And they and Ballard came in and has made significant turnover on this roster, and it is a significantly better roster than it was two years ago. It was a complete tire fire, and now it's like a bonfire. So, like, <laughs> let's take a look at what we have. So we have Ty Hilton, who can be a legitimate number one. Your number two is Ryan Grant. No one's excited about that. Uh, Darius Fountain and Deion Kane maybe could do something, but we don't really know what they're going to be. And you can't rely on a fifth and sixth round receiver to step up and be a number two receiver. That's not an enviable position. 
Anthony Costanzo is a very functional left tackle. Quentin Nelson, we all think, is going to be great. Ryan Kelly, if he could stay healthy, is has a lot of promise. Jack Muhort is a very base guard. If he's the worst person on your offensive line, your offensive line could be decent. And I think the hope for everyone is Braden Smith steps up and takes over at right tackle because Denzel Good, Good is an ironic name. Uh, da- Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron makes an interesting combo at tight end. We have Andrew Luck or Jacoby Brissett. At this point, I don't think it really matters which one it is. I agree with Nathan right here. I think that the quarterback position, either way, is going to be solid to above average. But you have Marlon Mack at running back, who couldn't take the job from 756-year-old Frank Gore, have you who seen, is a vampire. Have you seen any of these Twitter videos of Andrew Luck throwing a football, too? It's always bad. It's, it's never like, oh, that was a great throw. It's like always like, oh, he threw it, and he almost killed a kid. It is not, it's not something to be excited about. Uh I would love to see a side-by-side with him and the um, Buffalo Bills draft pick. But they got Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. Maybe one of them can be something, but we don't know. So right now, they still haven't addressed the running back situation in a way that makes you feel better. They're relying on Kamoko Ture to come in and provide pass rush, which they have not had since, what, Mathis went down with an injury a couple years ago and got really, really old. Uh, You know, they need DeBall Sheard to be pretty good. Their linebackers, again, are fine. Darius Leonard might not be able to take that position from Antonio Morrison, who's not a bad player. You know, Quincy Wilson will be in there. He was a good pick a year ago. Malik Hooker was a really good pick a year ago. We have spent more time thinking about the Indianapolis Colts roster right here, Kevin, than any Colts fan. (laughs) I think this needs to be said, though, because people are talking about, like, if Andrew Luck comes back, then this team's going to step up. The fact of the matter is, this team is paper thin with very clear holes. They are probably one or two seasons of significantly good top-tier roster management from being able to put together a playoff team, or they should be. And that's, if, and that's if luck is good. Well, no, I think they could get there with Brissett. Okay, but the, I think Brissett's a ways away. He's that's got asking a lot. That, I'm saying one or two seasons, but I think the offensive line is not actively hurting you anymore. This team is going to be better than they were last year. The record might show it slightly, Quint- but if you think they're going to be like ten and six, I don't. I, I would be very shocked. Quentin, Your name is Jim Irsay. Quentin Nelson is uh, really good. That man's a beast. Uh, that, that that's their saving grace is that they he could improve that offensive line so much. I have them going four and twelve again. Eric, what do you got him? I told you I was going to be bold with this division, one and fifteen. All right, looks like I'm high side here. I'm five and eleven. All I think right. they're a little better than they were last year. Uh, and then finally, we get to the Tex- uh, Houston Texans. They went four and twelve last year, but they were in quarterback hell. They're they're, you know, um, they hit the their their young quarterback Deshaun Watson hit the ground running and then instantly blew up his knee. Uh, Aaron Aaron Cole. They added Aaron Colvin, Chantrell Henderson, Zach Fulton, Sammy Coates, and the Honey Badger Tyron Matthew. They dropped Eric Pleasant, Eddie Pleasant, Marcus Gilchrist, Tom Savage, Alfred Blue, and Josh Johnson. I just thought it'd be funny. And TJ Yates. I thought it'd be funny to bring up Josh Johnson. They lost a lot of quarterbacks. They did. Uh, Duke, they drafted Duke Jofer, uh, Jordan Atkins, Justin Reed. They didn't have any first or second round draft draft picks. They're busy getting the quarterback of the future. Um, so they it's because they got Lamar. They got Sean Watson. I would argue that that worked out okay. Um, <laughs> it's hard to get a quarterback in this league, so I can't blame him too much. But here's if my. If he could stay healthy. Maybe he doesn't RG3 himself. I'll start this one off again. Um, here's my thing with this roster is it's pretty good. I like the Texans roster, um, but you ha- are relying on them not having any injuries, and this is a team that year over year has shown that they cannot stay healthy. Um, I don't know if it's that they have a bad training staff. I don't know if it's that Bill O'Brien sucks because he probably does. Um, but but the he keeps getting chance after chance to lead this roster, and every year it's just injuries, mishaps, um, and I, I'm 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 kind of done. I'm I'm done trying to bet on the Texans. 
I'm just going to tell you guys. I picked them to go 8-8 eight and eight because I just I feel like I can't be wrong then. If they're really good, I'll go, oh, well, I had them improving from 4-12 and 12 to 8-8. Eight and eight. And if they're really bad, I'll go, oh, well, I just had them at 8-8. Eight and eight. You know? <laughs> I tried to put myself in like a no-lose situation here because I have no idea what this team's going to be like. If they stay healthy, they could be like the best team in the AFC. And if they don't stay healthy, they could be like the worst team in the AFC. So I, <laughs> I don't know anything about this Texans team. Like, is J.J. Watt healthy? Is Deshaun Watson going to be as good as he was before the injury? They do have the best wide receiver in the NFL, in my opinion, or one of the top three. I mean, I think Hopkins is an incredible wide receiver. receiver. And it proves how bad Brock Osweiler is that he couldn't make him good. Um, okay, Eric, give me your Texans thoughts. Okay, so I'm kind of sky's the limit on the Texans. There's something about this team I really like. I love how their defense is built. And you have J.J. Watt. Ford tough? <laughs> Is Ford is Ford a Texas a Houston thing, Kevin? <laughs> we don't drive Fords here in Houston. Uh, I'll say this: I think the offensive weapons on this team are kind of unmatched. I like Lamar Miller, uh, which Nathan does not. Deshaun Watson, I have faith that he's going to be okay because he's not as uh, I feel he's more polished than RG three, and he doesn't have a Shanahan coaching him, a Mike Shanahan. So I feel like he will not. Uh, suffer the same pitfalls that There's RG3 that did. He won't get run into the ground. Well, here's the thing. Deshaun he Watson... He also doesn't have an injury history. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, was, it wasn't it was exactly a freak injury, but let's face it. He held onto the ball too long. He, he took a bad hit. Rookie it, quarterback mistake. Yeah, and it can, it can happen to anyone. It wasn't an arm injury. This guy, I feel like, is going to come back. He made some really good decisions on the field. Everyone here in this room will tell you, you need accuracy, you need arm, but you also need really good decision-making, and Sean Watson has that. Uh, I think the offense alone could take them to 10 wins in this division, uh, especially with their schedule. Check their schedule. Check that whole division schedule. Uh, also, this defense, I mean, the Honey Badger, I feel like if there's one team he could have gone to and excelled, it would be the Houston Texans. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm really high on this team. Kevin? You know, I think that I'm just going to be repeating a lot of what you guys said. Uh, extremely high floor. Their top-end talent is really, really good. Uh, if people stay healthy, this team is really hard to cover. But when you're talking about a team staying healthy, you're talking about them staying healthy with an offensive line that is very average. They have a lot of players that are just very average players on that line, and that doesn't make me feel better about Deshaun Watson. I think he could have some growing pains. He threw a lot of uh, interceptable balls last year. He's one of those players where right now he has a lot of variability in how effective he could be. He's a playmaker uh, who needs to kind of learn how to quarterback a little bit more in the NFL. This is a bit of a te- of, of a coaching test for O'Brien. Can O'Brien coach him to be able to really help uh, run an NFL offense? And then the defense, man, if we're just looking at starters, the defense is really good. If we start looking at players that are behind the starters, it gets ugly fast. You know, you got Whitney Merciless and you have uh, Janine I always Clowney forget about him. Rushing from the outside. If you had J.J. Watt in there, that's a nightmare for anyone to deal with. But, I mean, if two out of three of those players get injured, would you be surprised, Eric? Would you be surprised, Nathan? Not at all. So I have the team currently penciled in at nine and seven, for basically the same reason Nate has them at eight and eight because I think they're going to be better than they were last year. I think their roster is a little better than it was last year, but I can't rely on this team to stay healthy and productive. I have them at twelve and four. I didn't say that. Don't Ooh. yell at me. Don't yell at Ooh. me. 
I'm sky high. Don't, I love it when we're playing comes together. Me. Don't at don't at me. That's what Eric says. Sky high. All right. So just to recap, high. I have the Titans winning the division and the only team in the playoffs from his division. Eric, what do you got? I have the Texans winning. I have the Jaguars in the playoffs and the Titans in the playoffs. So you have both wild cards coming from this division. I do. It's Goodness gracious. I told you I was Inter- I was bold. Interesting. Eric with nine wild card teams. This I was year. bold on the Getting on the bold. NFC South too. The NFC South. I just decided let's make the South bold this year. Uh, I have, I have Tennessee missing the playoffs just barely with Jacksonville winning the division and Houston picking up the last wild card spot. All right, sounds good to me. Uh, so that's it for our AFC South preview. Uh, now it's time to head to the money zone. If you want to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, there's an easy way to do so. You can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Uh, at patreon.com slash Nest, for as little as $1.24 a month, you can send us your hard-earned money, and we can put it towards our stuff that we buy for this podcast. Uh, pro Football Focus mem- uh, membership, uh, the the soundboard and, and microphones. You all. put it in our bank account, we'll put it back in your eardrum. Yeah, exactly. So uh, right now we are up to 18 patrons. Uh, so let's go ahead and give it up for, give it up for Forrest, Lucas, Carrie, Mike, David, Mirza, Keith, Arthur, Frank, Tom, Michelle, Josh, Brett, Augustine, William, Russell, Kevin, Cody, and Kimberly, thank you very much for your support. It means the world to us. If you are broke, you don't have any money, and you want to support the Seahawks Podcast, you can head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. You can head over to Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play Store, wherever you get your podcasts, and give us that five-star review. It's stupid, but it helps more than you think. How many how many reviews do you think we're up to on uh, on iTunes, Kevin? I have no clue. 16. Eric? 36. 36, 16. We are rocking five stars on 26 reviews. Thank you to all 26 of you who went ahead and did that for us. We got the it, sixes down. Yeah. <laughs> it's um. That's that's it. All right. Uh, so, folks, I just want to let you know that Nathan really is happy and excited. He's just been watching his infant son for two days, and that's why he has tired dad voice. For first, two, first two days of summer, <laughs> went ahead... And uh, I'm the full-time Watching caregiver the now, and he is, he was exhausting, to say the least. Uh, all right. He's cute and tiring, folks. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into the um, movie movie club. Uh, I thought it'd be fun, because this week, releasing in theater, a theater near you, we've got Uncle Drew. <laughs> Uncle Drew uh, is covers the, uh, the amazing tale, the amazing time. It covers the, you know, just the unclest of Drewists. No, it's it's Kyrie Irving in makeup playing basketball, and it looks fun. It's his uh, journey to the edge of the earth. It looks stupid, but fun. Um, so I thought fun? it'd be cool. If it does I, look fun. Is if I asked you guys what your favorite basketball movie is, I'm gonna start. Okay, so I'm gonna start off my favorite basketball movie, um, and it it might not even be the whole movie. To be honest with you, uh, it might just be like the last scene, the last like 20 minutes of this movie. Uh, so my favorite basketball movie is He Got Game. Uh, Spike Lee as the Spike Lee joint stars Ray Allen and Denzel Washington uh, and it starts off uh, Denzel is uh, he's getting out of prison well he's not getting out of prison yet talk about he, Jake Shuttlesworth yeah he, they're, they, they tell him he can get out of prison if he can get his son to sign with Big State University which is the stupidest name and then but then so they go through the whole movie there's a lot of drama and Jake's trying to convince Jesus trying to get through to him it ends up turning into like a he's actually just trying to like reconnect with his son kind of but then he also doesn't want to go back to prison so like they start to be like multiple motivations um and then you know then there's this whole subplot of like jesus going pro and stuff like that so um anyway they at the end of the movie this is where the movie gets good to me is um 
Jake challenges Jesus to a game of one-on-one with extremely high stakes. Which, that's an iconic thing. You know, one-on-one basketball with your dad. Right. It's in, like, the classic cage park with a chain link around the outside. Yeah. So... Is it, like... It's, like, twilight getting dark and everything? Yeah, it is. The, 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 this is a great set piece. So then they... So he says, you know, if I win, you gotta go to a big state. You gotta sign the letter of intent. And if you win, you, you can... I will go back to Attica and you'll never see me again. So what's cool about the scene is, is that Spike told them, just play basketball. We'll keep score. Just play like you really would play. And Denzel runs out a like four or three oh lead. And you can tell Ray Allen's getting kind of mad. Then he scores again to make it four oh and he takes this lap around the court with his arms out and he's like yelling <laughs> at Ray Allen. And you can tell Ray Allen is un- unhappy with what happens. Then Ray Allen scores ten consecutive points, including like just dunking on Denzel to end the game. Just like totally bathing him in like just it's so good and it's super cool it's like one of the like my favorite scenes especially knowing that they were really playing basketball like it wasn't like like spike said just play we'll make it into the movie stuff but then they just ended up using exactly what happened because it works so perfectly with the movie um then i mean all they needed to happen was ray allen to win but the way that he won was really cool like in term in the context of the movie um and then you know at the end of the movie you know jesus decides to go to big state you know he he decides he's gonna try jesus got or jake got through to his son right Yep. Uh, it's a message of hope, right? Does Jake have to go back to Attica? Uh, at the end of the movie, it's not, it's unclear whether he got in or out of prison. Yeah, he's right? talking to his parole officer, right? And, and his, it just doesn't really tell you. And his parole officer's like, I don't know. He went to Big State, but it wasn't because of you, you know. And like, uh, it's it's like a right. I don't know. He throws a basketball out of the prison yard at the end of the movie, and that's like him. Uh, and then it like shows it going on to the court where Jesus is practicing, and like it's like a. You know, all they're reconnected. They're they're father and son again, right? It wasn't, you know, like it it was like a decision they made out of love for each other, respect. I don't know. It it has a lot of things going on here with like recruiting and like father son relationships and like absentee fathers who jump back into people's lives when they become famous. Yeah, there's a lot of big messages in this movie. um, I think the movie's pretty good. It's way too long. It's like (laughs) it's like 136 minutes, and it only needs to be like a hundred. They could have easily cut a half hour of this movie, and it would have been just as good. So that's kind of my big criticism of the movie. But overall, it's a it's a really good movie. I wouldn't say it's my actually my favorite basketball movie, but we kind of claimed movies, and so this is the one that I came up with as one like one of my favorites. It also has, I would say, probably the best basketball scene. Yeah, the one on one game is like my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. Um, yeah, it, it's the best uh, out of the three movies we talk about. I think it has the best scene of people playing basketball. Okay, you ready for this? These are people that could have played Jesus Shuttleworth. You ready? Number one choice was Kobe, but Kobe, uh, he decided he wanted to, he had a really bad last playoff game the season before they filmed this and decided I need to do a, a, a conditioning program in the off season. I can't film this movie. So then Spike Lee went, he asked T-Mac to do it, Tracy McGrady, and T-Mac wasn't, he didn't like how, he was too reserved, wasn't a good actor. Um, Alan Iverson, he didn't like his acting either, so he passed on Iverson. Garnett and Marbury wanted a guarantee before they would even audition that one of them would get the part. So Spike Lee was like, pass. Then they, a bunch of other basketball players auditioned. Then they all ended up getting supporting roles. But Spike Lee ended up going up to Allen and said, hey, will you do like a test for me? Uh, like a acting test? And even though Ray Allen had never acted before, he kind of nailed it. And I thought he was great in this movie. I thought Ray Allen did a really good job. It's kind of the it's kind of the coolest thing about this movie is like somehow Ray Allen did a really good job acting. Ray uh, Allen is like the uh, perennial underrated player in the NBA, though. I mean, of all the elite players when he played, he was never thought of as a team leader, as one of the greats. 
And look at him. He was. He's the best three-point shooter we've ever seen. Next to maybe Reggie Miller, but I don't know. I don't really trust Reggie to do anything but shoot clutch threes. And Ray Allen could do that. He could also dunk. He was athletic. He could play defense against Kobe 60% of the time. He had a very long career. Ray Allen, very handsome, perfect for Hollywood. It, it makes sense looking back that he would be great in this role. All right. And, um, is Ray Allen a Hall of Famer, you guys? Ooh, yes. I think yeah, so. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Eric, what's your movie? Um, so we talked about picking movies. This is why we did it, so none of us had to do Teen Wolf. Instead, I'm going to do a much better basketball movie, and that's Blue Chips, starring Nick Nolte, Shaquille O'Neal, and Fernie Hardaway. And I think that's about it. Uh, who plays Nick Nolte's wife? Do you uh, have Mary, the... Mc... Mary McDonald. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just remember her in the movie. She had a Ed O'Neill's in this movie too. Oh, Ed O'Neill is a uh, yep. journalist. Yes, yeah. he's great. He's the guy who breaks the story. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, they have the scene at the end when he's walking out of the gym, and Nick Nolte's sitting on the sidewalk, and uh, ends up talking to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this uh, Blue Chips is a movie about college basketball, and it's the underbelly of college basketball. It's not just a movie that is gift wrapping Shaq into a, a movie role and saying, hey, look at these NBA stars, uh, you know, Penny Hardaway and, and Shaquille O'Neal. It's actually giving you a story. And they kind of they anchor it with a very solid, very good actor in Nick Nolte playing head coach who's trying to recruit these players. And he finds out that you're probably not going to get these players you want unless you pay them. So he goes to like this, this uh, top high school recruit Anthony Hardaway, uh, he's a point Butch guard, McRae. Butch McRae, and he can do everything. He can shoot, he can pass, he can you know go in the paint, he can he can play defense, and so they they circle this guy's like he's if any school gets him they're gonna be great, and then they go after uh, Robbie Rowe is that yep the uh, Ricky Rowe Ricky, Ricky Rowe, Rowe I'm sorry he is the uh, he he comes from French Lick Indiana just like Larry Bird. He's a big white dude. He plays a game in the paint as opposed to Larry Bird's uh, shot from the outside. But Ricky Rowe can also shoot from afar. He's very much like Larry Bird. <clears throat> He's the Larry Bird archetype. And then there's this guy no one's ever heard of. And they, they got to get him signed because if they do, then, then no other team can get him. But if they from don't, New Orleans. If they don't sign uh, Shaquille O'Neal characters, Kevin... Leon. Leon Boudou. I knew I, I knew Kevin would say it. Fun. So if they don't sign this uh, Leon Boudou, then no Neon. Neon. I'm sorry, Neon Boudou. No one is is going to pass on this guy. They're going to find out about him. They're going to get him in. So they find out that they need to basically pay Anthony Hardaway. They got to pay Ricky Rowe, and they got to pay Neon Boudou. But no, they don't because he's like this altruistic person. It goes up and down into uh, you know, the, but like neon, like they have, there's all this stuff like he's trying to keep his grades up, like because he's not, he just he can't do care. it. Just, yeah, and it's it's very much like I wonder how much very was, bohemian. There's was like a, scripted as opposed to directed. There's a point shaving thing in the movie, like yep. where uh, where like one of his yeah. players uh, that it's like his favorite player too. Like he feels betrayed because like it's the player he really trusted was shaving points to beat the. Well, it's like the athletic director or something says, "Yeah, of course we did this. You what, you think this just happened on its own?" And yeah, that's the whole thing. You just supposed to find out that like uh, like Nick Nolte wasn't really paying them uh, the athletic director was arranging it through the boosters yeah and which is how it works so that was an interesting take on that yeah break Nick Nolte the end of this movie is super dumb though 
Like he admits to the scandal and then he's like walking out and he sees like kids playing basketball and he like <laughs> then he starts coaching, coaching him on the fly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, so it's pretty stupid. Uh, but honestly, it's this very 90s. As far as basketball goes, it's shot really well. It has big stars in it and it still pulls it off. Um, the movie is really believable up until that final arc. And yeah. yeah, I like blue chips as far as basketball movies go. I think it's cool because this movie's actually trying to say something, right? Like it's trying to it's trying to like expose how like corrupt college sports was. And maybe in 1994, people weren't thinking about it as much. I think that's exactly right, Nathan. Yes. Uh, so so it's kind of. We well, have to remember this is on the heels of the death penalty given to SMU in football. They weren't thinking about it in basketball quite as much. Yeah, and so like you know now we now we talk about it all the time. You know, dropping off a bag for DeAndre Ayton to get him to come to Arizona. You know, stuff like that. It's it's common. It's common to talk about it but back then maybe it wasn't seen as uh, such a thing well, the 80s saw a lot of scandal uh what was it uh in the early 90s alabama's football program got investigated uh kentucky got penalized in the um mid to late 80s in basketball kansas um got penalized in basketball so guys were investigated Dwayne casey was investigating kentucky this is a really interesting time because yeah. it was just after the big scandal run of the 80s but just before the late to 2000 uh the late 90s early 2000s when there was a lot of suspicion so it's it is interesting where it landed you ready for the ready for my favorite blue chips fact what's that uh shaq was so impressed with the way penny hardaway played in the when they played together during the movie filming of the movie, he encouraged Orlando to draft him, and that's why they traded for Penny Hardaway. I did really? not know that. Yep. Interesting. Wow. Um, all right, that's my favorite Blue Chips fact. Kevin, you actually have the best basketball movie. It's written by the same writer as Blue Chips. Actually, did you know that, Ron? Shelton? I did. Yeah. All right. What's what's the best basketball movie, Kevin? Well, I think it's all of ours favorite too. White Men Can't Jump is just an excellent movie. Yeah. I agree. Um, it's it's not only just like an excellent movie. It's a good sports movie. It's not just a basketball movie. It's like about these characters. Uh, great cast. So it's 1992. Uh, it stars Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson and Rosie Perez. And it's basically uh, Woody Harrelson plays uh, Billy Hoyle, who is a pickup basketball hustler. And so they move kind of from town to town, and he uses the fact that he's a dorky-looking white guy to kind of play it up a little bit. With his hat? With his hat, with his day-glow hat, and he'll, like, sit and do stretches on the sideline and really, like, goofball it up so that uh, he can kind of get people to double down. It's it's a lot like a, like a pool hall hustler, yeah, only but- it's... You know, basketball. Hustling. His hat reminds me of the main character in the Sandlot before he, before <laughs> you know, yeah, goal. before he gets the the hat from his buddy. Sorry. And so he sort of like comes to town, whereas Wesley Snipes' character Sidney Dean, this these were his streets that he's running with these with his group, and so they end up, you know, and so basically the story follows them through a basketball hustling season, kind of spring going into summer. And you're really riding the ups and downs of Billy and Gloria, played by Rosie Perez, of their relationship. You know, because of this uh, lifestyle that he has, they rack up some debt to some unsavory characters. You know, Rosie Perez wants to be on Jeopardy. And and just such an odd. She makes it. She makes it too. It's such an odd thing, though. Well, how does she get it? She gets it because of uh, Woody Woody Harrelson's character gets her in. Yep. But she doesn't know that. Yep. And it's never it's never revealed if he, you know, tells her that or not. And then I'm not going to talk about it, but there's a falling out 
between Billy and Sydney. If you have not seen the movie, you need to go see that movie. I feel like this is kind of a forgotten classic in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's this really... is an excellent movie that people don't always talk about. Two favorite things about this movie. Ready? One, Wesley Snipes is not actually good at basketball. He's yep. terrible. Everyone who's worked on this movie, every like thing I've read about it, Wesley Snipes is a good athlete, but he's not good at basketball. So they had to hide him constantly. They were constantly trying to figure out ways to make it look like Wesley Snipes could actually play basketball. Because he can't shoot. He just did not know how to play basketball. Uh, <laughs> so that that cracks me up. That's like, I think that's so funny. And then um, the uh, my other uh, favorite thing about this movie is that they made a shoe. Uh, inspired by Billy Hoyle, and it says on it says on the tongue, "I'm in the fucking zone," which is like so cool. It's a Nike Hyperize, and it's like says that on the tongue. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you can find it, it's kind of hard to get, you know. But some people think it's lame, but I think it's kind of cool. That so, would be awesome. Yeah. All right. It also stars a uh, ex-Sonic color analyst, Marcus Johnson. There's a Sidney Dean shoe too, but it's not as cool. It doesn't say I'm in the fucking zone on the tongue. <laughs> oh, it says they had to hide me because I can't play basketball. And I will say this also has a really good climactic basketball scene when they're doing the summer tournament, the three-on-three or two-on-two tournament. Um, there's a lot of really cool basketball being played. The trash talking in this movie is top-notch. Uh, this is another one of those movies where... There's a couple of parts that kind of lull a little bit, but it comes in under two hours, and it feels pretty good at that length of time. Like, for the fact that you're fitting in all that good basketball with all that emotional roller coaster, this movie's doing a lot in two hours. By the way, did you know originally they wanted Denzel to play the Wesley Snipes role? Think how, that many, would have theoretically think how much better this movie would have been, yeah, if it had Denzel instead. I mean, I, I love know. Wesley Wesley Snipes. was really good in He's this movie. He's great in this movie, but, like, Denzel just, you know he can actually ball. But I feel like in the four outside of Ray basketball Allen. scenes, uh, that's true. But in the outside of basketball scenes, Wesley Snipes shit-talking was top-notch. Yeah, he was no, so good. You kind of forget, I mean, because he went to jail for tax fraud. But Wesley Snipes used to be a really, really good actor. Also, the wife game in this movie, top-notch. Both wives, excellent. Played a role really well in this. All right. Uh, any anything else before we head we head home? Uh, should we talk about semi pro? No. Okay, semi pro. Fine. I'll, I'll give you my one my one sentence. It should review. have been a four. It turned out to be a six, and it was enjoyable. underrated movie. Uh, sh- should not the as bear. bad as you think. <laughs> like it, it'll make you laugh. It's not good, but it'll make you laugh. Which is also our review of uh, Uncle Drew. It's oh, it's probably not going to be good. I have another but it will cool. Make you laugh. I have another cool white man can't jump fact. You ready for this? When she said Mount Suvius in the movie and. Uh, so and then he he threw to the judges like he wouldn't a real that's a that's an improv. Uh, she she was supposed to just say Mount Vesuvius, but she screwed up. And then they they didn't let her reshoot the scene; they just kept it. Like isn't that kind of awesome? Like that the, is pretty yeah. Good. Okay. Oh, can I also go? Uh, let's see. Oh, never mind. We're good. We're good. All right. Well, there we go. So for Kevin Garber, I'm Nathan Sano, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks. <laughs>